Hey, welcome back to the Glue Guys. I have a special episode for you today. Um, I wanted to try to figure out a way we could talk about Kobe Bryant, relate it back to the Nets in some way, but also, you know, bring out stories related to his career and related to the Nets right now. So what I, we have for you today is two stories. One is with Joe Varden from The Athletic. He has covered the Cleveland Cavaliers and now the greater NBA for a great many years, and he has covered Kyrie Irving. And obviously, as we know, Kyrie Irving decided not to play on Sunday because of his relationship with Kobe Bryant. So I wanted to bring Joe on to talk about that specifically. And then after Joe, there's an interview with Bob Windrum, also known as Net Income, talking specifically about the 1996 draft, Kobe Bryant's draft, and how close the Nets were to drafting. Kobe Bryant. It's really sort of an interesting look at what could have been because the Nets were so very close to making the decision to draft this high schooler from the Philadelphia area, and they decided not to. They went with Kerry Kittles. Bob gets really into sort of why that was, the pressures that were happening on the Nets at the time, of why they decided not to make that decision, even though their inside intel was telling them that Kobe Bryant was the guy to draft, that he was the right pick there at number eight overall in the 1996 draft, but they went a different direction because of a couple of factors. So I think it's interesting to hear about in this moment. Thank you all for joining us. We will be back talking more about regular net stuff in this moment. Felt it was right to bring you a little bit Kobe relating to the team now and Kyrie Irving and how the Nets nearly were Kobe's team in the past. So just to start off, kind of give people an idea of your background, particularly when it comes to Kyrie and your relationship in terms of professional relationship with Kyrie. You know, what is your background going back as an NBA reporter? I came to Cleveland in the fall of 2014, which was the year um, and the time that LeBron came back. And I was hired by the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com to cover LeBron specifically, so everything he did on the court and off of it, um, which just meant that I was there every day like a beat writer and got a chance to know everybody uh, in, in those first two years. And because Kyrie was such an important part of the team and in such an important part of what LeBron was trying to do, got a chance to know Kyrie that, that way. Um I ended up being the the regular beat writer as things changed at the company over over time. Um, but for those three years from when LeBron showed up until Kyrie left for for or was traded to Boston, I was with him every day and and um, we just really we built what I think is a very respectful uh, working relationship. Um, he knew that I would never bother him unless I really needed something. And that was whether I was just covering LeBron or covering the Cavs as a whole. Um, we had some testy exchanges at times. One of them is on YouTube when he was talking about the earth being flat during the all-star game. Um, but we also did a lot of really good work together and, um, and, and he felt comfortable uh, when the time was right to, to confide some things in me and, and um, to go really deep on, on some issues that were going on with the Cavs or with some of the guys on the team. Um, and so now, you know, we were, we remember those days. And um, when I see, when I saw him in Boston or wherever they were traveling or now with the Nets, um, when I come out there to see him, you know, we always say hello, we always talk. And, and when I ask him for time, 
uh, I, I get it. And, and it's just, it's because he knows I, I wouldn't ask if I didn't need it. Yeah. And, and I'll be fully honest, you know, I, I reached out to you before this weekend to have you on because I wanted to get your perspective about Kyrie. But now, obviously, we sit here on this Monday and, you know, something so unusual has happened just yesterday with the Kobe Bryant situation. And for all Nets fans know this, you know, the NBA played games on Sunday after the news of Kobe Bryant's death. And there was one player who decided not to play, and it was Kyrie Irving. And it, some Nets fans were wondering why, or NBA fans were wondering why that may be. But what was Kobe's and Kyrie's relationship? How close were they, and, and what was the relationship overall? You know, some players on the day that they lose a family member, whether it's a parent or a sibling, some of them choose to play. Some of them need the day to to kind of regroup. Um and it, it cuts both ways. And I think for Kyrie, well, I don't just think this. I mean, it's that was the kind of relationship that he felt he, he had with Kobe. I mean, you're talking about a player that 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 Kyrie idolized, a person that he idolized growing up. But but they became that mentor mentee um, relationship to the point where Kyrie would would call or seek out Kobe for advice and would get it and then would implement it in his own life to the point where the Cavs won the 2016 finals and they were celebrating in the locker room and Kyrie called Kobe on FaceTime from the locker room. Um, so this is a, a giant who disappeared from Kyrie's life. And then a couple hours later he was asked to go to work. And, and so you can be a human and, and, and see, why he just wasn't there. I mean, this is the thing I wrote for the athletic is, is the, the stunning part about Kobe to me was how many players felt connected to Kobe. Um, certainly in a way that no one feels connected to a guy like Michael Jordan and Kobe's on that level, but everybody felt connected to him in some way. He, he lent his advice and his time and his sort of support to just numbers of players. Um, but maybe no one more so than Kyrie, at least Kyrie took it more to heart, I think than anybody and, and really used Kobe's words and sort of the way he went about a lot of his work, um, to, to fuel his own path and to guide his own path. Um, now you might say, well, wait a minute, Kobe Pitt played for one team over 20 years. Um, and, and Kyrie's on his third team in four years or whatever. So that's fine, but the NBA has changed a little bit, and the dynamics have changed a little bit. Um, I mean, if the Cavs had traded LeBron, for instance, following the 2017 year, I don't know. I mean, maybe Kyrie's still there. Who knows? Um, and, and of course, uh, the Lakers broke up Shaq and Kobe. So th there's just all kinds of stuff like that. But, but the, the bottom line is, I mean, you are talking about a central figure in Kyrie's life that died suddenly and tragically yesterday with, with no warning, obviously. And, uh, and, and Kyrie just wasn't, wasn't up to working that day. And it's so interesting about Kobe and it's, and this isn't new, right? That this mentee relationship that he's had with so many people and, and that he reaches out on so many levels. So I'm doing a series on Achilles injuries amongst NBA players. And, you know, as I'm talking and talking to former athletes, both from the NBA and 
in football. I talked to D'Angelo Hall, a former cornerback for the Redskins, and he talks about how Kobe reached out to him after D'Angelo Hall tore his Achilles and gave him this advice of saying, you know, uh, take your time, listen to your doctors. And D'Angelo Hall says, when someone like Kobe, who has the Mamba mentality, tells you to listen to the doctors, you listen to your doctors. Because if Kobe can do it, you can do it. You know, and it's interesting. Kobe idolized Michael Jordan and Jordan sort of, he was on such another plane that maybe it was tough for the next generation to connect with Michael. Michael had friends like Barkley, he had guys of his generation, but he didn't connect necessarily in the way that Kobe has with this next generation, particularly about Kyrie. What do you think it was that spoke to Kyrie about Kobe? What did what did he get out of that relationship with Kobe that really kind of helped him in his career or something that he felt like he needed at that time in that mentor-mentee relationship? You know, I think for me is that Kobe prioritized things in his life and in his career other than being liked, other than being admired. Um, Kobe was a win-at-all-costs kind of guy in a way that Michael was, certainly, um, to the point where it's okay to rub teammates the wrong way or even ostracize them if it if it means a quicker and clearer path to winning. Um, and that Kobe had so much thrown at him and had so many different like trials and tribulations, whether it was the rape case or whether it was Shaq, whether it was just being in LA and 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 failing in LA at times, and then also trying to stay on top and and, and there was um, – and Kobe sort of handled all that in his own way. Uh, there was never a capitulation on, on, on Kobe's part. And I think that Kyrie could really find some comfort in all of that. I mean Kyrie is a different cat. We know that. And um, he th- – there are just things that he values over others and, and Kobe – it's like lived the kind of life and certainly the kind of basketball life where his advo- his advice would resonate with Kyrie in part because they just happened to think the same on a lot of different a lot of different things. Yeah, and I was I was reading a story that you wrote last year while Kyrie was in Boston. It was actually just about this time last year, and mm-hmm. it was specifically about. Um, Kyrie kind of creating conflict in the locker room in Boston, and that being. Uh, I'll, I'll use the word skill, but that that being a trait that he learned from Kobe, that Kobe taught him uh, that conflict is something that needs to happen a lot. Can you kind of explain your th- – I mean, I know this was a year ago, but can you kind of explain that theory from Kobe that maybe Kyrie sort of played out in Boston? Obviously not to tremendous effect, but it was something that Kyrie emulated Kobe in that way. Yeah, and this is advice that um, that goes back years from, from Kobe. And something that he has talked about with other people as well, but just this idea that um, you need conflict in your locker room and you need uh, controversy on your team, especially if you're going to be good, especially during a regular season that's long and boring, um, that you need things like this to sort of uh, galvanize your players, prepare them for the playoffs, understand what it's like to fight through something together. And so you need that. Like you need people you you need people to be uncomfortable. That that playing outside of your comfort zone um, makes you better. And so Kobe obviously had no problem being that guy. And and he had said once that on the Cavs, um, that Kyrie was that guy. 
that LeBron just wasn't, and he didn't mean it in a in a negative way towards LeBron. But but LeBron is kind of like the ultimate teammate in Kobe's opinion. Um, wants everybody to like him and to be feel like they're all part of the same thing. Whereas Kyrie was sort of the um, controversial figure, the the guy who drives, who can who can uh, create the conflict. And and Kobe's assessment of LeBron actually wasn't entirely correct. LeBron does care what other people think of him. He does want to be liked, but he also can certainly cause trouble and and has done it throughout his career. But when you're talking about Kyrie, that that's where that came from. So Kyrie, it was instilled in him by Kobe that it is okay to do this, that it is okay to challenge teammates, to call them out, to be a jerk, to um, – play at a level that Kyrie wants to play and then demand that others do it and criticize them if they do not. Um, and Kyrie had done that before, but he had LeBron in his way. So he gets to Boston and then the way things unfolded last year, um, I just remember that night, uh, you know, I had talked to a bunch of Celtics. Kyrie actually didn't even make the trip, um, but talked to a bunch of Celtics about this theory. And they were basically like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, sounds like what we're seeing here um and i've just you know that's it's just part of the Kyrie kobe uh relationship and dialogue yeah and it's interesting now that we're in this net season and we had what Kyrie said a few weeks ago about you know we need one or two two more pieces and reading that article it is informative now if that is sort of Kyrie's modus operandi about you know, kind of running a team that like not you don't want everything to be completely smooth. You do want that conflict. You know, obviously we know why Kyrie would want to have mentorship from Kobe. Kobe was some considered to be the greatest of his generation. You know, some considered to be the greatest Laker of all time. Why do you think Kobe took such an interest in Kyrie? Why do you think Kobe decided to invest his own time into building a relationship with Kyrie in the way that he did? You know, I, I, I don't have an exact answer for that because, um, but I look at your question and I, and I, um, I, I'm going to expand it because it wasn't, it wasn't merely that Kobe took an interest in Kyrie. I mean, you're talking about Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, um, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. And so Kobe really thought, especially as his career sort of started to hit that back end where he couldn't stay healthy, um, he, he really saw a role for himself where he could be he could be this 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 kind of guiding light for the next generation of great players. And I think he did it in a way, again, we were kind of talking at the top. I mean, certainly Michael never did this. And if you go through the league now, no one has a relationship with Michael Jordan. Like no, nobody has, nobody has that connection. And, and even when Michael was done playing and he was immediately in the front office, like it just wasn't like this. And so you think about, well, who, who are the stars, like the all time NBA greats who then immediately turned around and tried to help others. And I mean, maybe you have a better answer for it than I do, but, but to me, that guy is Kobe. And so, yes, of course, if Kyrie Irving wants, uh, advice from Kobe Bryant, he's going to get it. And Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard and these younger players who were going to the Mamba Academy and all that. So it was in, from that perspective, it was much more about who Kobe was and what he wanted to be to the next generation of NBA greats more so than having a particular interest in Kyrie. I have one last question for you. 
what have you heard about Kyrie's season so far in Brooklyn? Have you, have you talked to anyone sort of around Kyrie's circle and somewhat turbulent season, though not completely turbulent, just with the injuries and such? What have you heard from Kyrie's camp about his time in Brooklyn so far? Well, I mean, obviously it's been a strange um it's been a strange and complicated season for a number of, of reasons, mostly due to, to Kyrie's shoulder injury. You know, I spent a lot of time with the Nets in November uh, before Kyrie got hurt and then during his injury. And certainly I, I, was, um, I was really impressed with how Kyrie was approaching the season before he got hurt. I, I really thought he was doing the right thing. I, I really did um, with how he was changing the way he was going to lead the Nets and sort of understanding that you didn't need to pop off and, and talk about being a leader, that it was much more about, okay, I'm going to play this way and be a little bit more accessible um, to, to my teammates and then also just – Rather than talk about leading, just go ahead and lead. And then he got hurt, and then they went to Boston, and everybody called him soft, and there were questions about his mental health, and um, Kyrie bristled at that, and then he was out forever, and the Nets played really pretty well without him, surprisingly well, and then now he's back, and the schedule's a little bit tougher, and they're you know they're having trouble like winning these games and. So that's all that kind of a, a recap of what has happened. Uh, he he was happy as far as I I mean, it's certainly in the conversations I had. I mean, he was glad to be in Brooklyn. You know, he bought a place there um, in the Dumbo uh, in the Dumbo neighborhood, a uh, high rise condo and and certainly um, was open to some some of the Nets culture. And, um, you know, but I mean, this is like Kyrie always talks about about chasing down and hunting out uh happiness and that that's what's most important to him and there are people who are wired to really never be satisfied and you never can be completely happy and that could that could be him in a way uh certainly as far as the nba goes he, he may never be satisfied i'm not sure um but i think overall i mean we've got to let him i mean he may be playing hurt as well i mean there's been talk about is he going to shut it down at the all-star break? Um, so, I mean, he, he may not be all the way there. He knows that Kevin Durant's not playing this year. And so this team is not um, the team that it's going to be moving forward. So there's a number of things that are going on to where you might not want to say, try to assess like what he thinks about the Brooklyn experience, because there's been a lot of mitigating factors. Joe, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, you can obviously read Joe on The Athletic, and there's a lot of really great writing about Kobe Bryant from a lot of different perspectives. So, Joe, thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. With me today is Bob Windrum, better known as Net Income. Bob, you know, obviously we have, this has been an odd you know, 24 hours or so, a little bit longer than that now. And it got me thinking, and I remember seeing Bobby Marks tweet about this. Kobe was on the edge of becoming a New Jersey net at the time. What do you remember from sort of that time period of during when Kobe was in the draft and starting to work out with some teams? Well, what happened was in 1996, um, when high school players could still be drafted directly into the NBA. Um, Bryant was obviously the best high school player in the, in the country. And, but on the, on the other hand, he was still a high school player, but he went through a number of workouts and that's at that point had the seventh pick 
Um, and it, John Calipari was, um, I guess he was vice president to president of basketball operations. He was more than just the head coach, but he was also a rookie um, in that job. And what happened was, as Bobby Marks tweeted today, he went down and and saw Kobe in high school, um, was wowed by him, invited him uh, to uh, to North Jersey, as he said, Fairleigh Dickinson, um, for workouts, plural. In fact, there were three workouts. And as Bobby had said, they were the best workouts he had ever seen and noted that at that point, um, NBA players uh, could work out with uh, draft prospects. So he was going up against uh, the best. You can't do that now, but back then you could. So everybody began to get enthralled with the idea. And the Nets at this point had you know, didn't have anything to lose. I mean, they had a they they had um, just come off a bad season. Um, Calipari was new. They needed to make um, some sort of a headline, and, and the idea was that not only would they be drafting um, a young star who had real potential, but they would also be making headlines. However, John Calipari got nervous. And the story goes something like this. Calipari was looking at Kobe, but he also was looking at other players, specifically Terry Kittles. And according to various reports, most of them from John Nash, Calipari got cold feet. And he got cold feet in part because Kobe Bryant wanted to play for the LA Lakers. Um, he understood the cachet, he understood the, the championship potential, etc. And so there was a conversation that involved Joe, um, Joe Bryant, who was Kobe's father and an advisor, and Calipari and Nash, as I recall. And essentially, Bryant, who had played in the Italian leagues um, before retiring, said that, if, said that if Kobe was drafted by the Nets, he would not play for the Nets, he would go to Italy. And whereas, and whereas that was what many thought was an empty threat, Calipari being the rookie, Calipari being uncertain, decided to pass on to pass on, on Kobe. And there was also, as I recall, um, there was also a phone call between Jerry West, who was then with the Lakers. And the uh, and Calipari, in which Jerry West essentially, you know, advised him, you know, not to take, not to take uh, Bryant. At the end of the day, John Calipari um, decided to, how shall we put it, wimp out, and went with and went with the sure thing, the four-year player that Kerry Kittles was. And let Kobe um, and let Kobe go, and then Kobe was drafted at 13 by the Hornets, who then traded him to LA for Vladi Divac, and the rest is history. Literally NBA history. And you know what's interesting about yeah. that story is that we, the, our image of John Calipari now. I mean, if you wrote a book about the greatest college basketball recruiter of all time, maybe it would be about John Wooden. 
But probably the next guy you would also put on the list is John Calipari. And he could not, you know, realistically, his problem was that he couldn't recruit the Bryant family into believing that Kobe should be a net, right? I mean, that's what it came down to is that. That's a a big part of it. And, you know, let's let's face it. At that point in time, the New Jersey Nets were, you know, I don't want to say a mess, but pretty close because, um, you know, they were, you know, they were owned by the Secaucus Seven, who was an unruly group of owners. Um, you know, there was nobody really in, in charge. Um, they played in a venue that was starting to, starting to get older. Um, and they were not playing in front of big crowds. And, of course, they were much more second string to the Knicks then than they are now. Um, ironically, after Kobe retired, he was asked if, indeed, Calipari had showed some guts and taken him, would he have played in New Jersey or would he have gone to Italy? And he said, yes, he would have played for New Jersey. And in fact, the, the threat to go to Italy was an empty one. Um, and, you know, it's interesting in Bobby's tweet today, he talked about how you know, his experience and, and you know, he, he was 22, as he points out. And he described the, the, the decision not to draft Kobe as a story for another day. But if you Google John Nash and John Calipari, because Nash was, was Calipari's number two and essentially a veteran who had been installed to, to help Calipari negotiate the NBA. Um, he says quite bluntly that, that Calipari was too scared and was cowed by, um, by Jerry West, who, who was, of course, Jerry West. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, it's one of several, it's one of several times in, in that era when, Things almost happened. I mean, there was a there was a dinner, there was a dinner, you know, years before where when the when the Mets were the New York Mets of the ABA, and George Mikan, the commissioner of the ABA and and the and the, and the great Laker player, um, was having was had dinner with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and had a million dollar check in his vest pocket, you know, from the ABA to convince Kareem to play for the Nets. And he never took it out of his pocket. Um, so that went away too. Um, I mean, back then it was, it was a, it was a difficult time to recruit people to, um, to the Nets for a lot of reasons. Um, but at the same time, um, at the same time, there were missteps by the people who owned them by the people who ran them. And I think at the end of the day, that was as big of an issue as, as anything else. Um, and the irony is that the irony is if you look at, you know, what the, what the Nets had back then, they didn't have much, but what you would have seen if Kobe had become a, uh, a New Jersey net, because you would have seen him play a lot quicker than he did in L.A. That's right. It took him like three years in L.A. to, you know, to really get established. And I think it was his fourth year is when he was when he won the championship and then made the All Star team. So I mean, he would have played a lot more 
um, you know, back then. And of course, back then as well, um, back then as well, you had a, you had a, you had a team that had veterans and it would have helped him, would have helped him along. And it would have also helped to have, as I said before, a headliner to compete with the, uh, to compete with the Knicks, which, which of course is what, what, what they had hoped for when they, when they signed Calipari, because that was a big signing. I mean, Calipari was the star of, of college basketball. They paid him a lot of money. They gave him a, a big title beyond, beyond head coach. Um, and they had hoped that he was going to, that he was going to establish them. And I think to be fair to Calipari and the Nets, so I would urge people to go look back at the 1996 draft. It is one of the most interesting. You have Iverson at the top, Marbury at number four, Ray Allen number five, Antoine Walker number six. You have the Nets at eight. They take Kerry Kittles, who had a good Ooh, career. I said seven, but eight, yeah, right. And then, but following right. even Kittles, it's not as if Kobe went number nine. No, there were Eric Dampier and <clears throat> Samaki Walker and Todd Fuller and Vitaly Potapenko. Potapenko, right. Yeah, of course. Right. And then Kobe Bryant. And then Peja and Steve right. Nash following them. So, you know, it's an interesting draft from the different pockets of success and then complete valleys of non-success. The Nets. And, 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 and Ben Wallace was undrafted. Ben Wallace undrafted. And so the Nets, like, right. you know, they didn't make the right decision, but, you know, they they made a decision that was better than what Dallas, the Pacers, the Warriors, and the Cavs made before Charlotte technically took, you know, took Kobe that, of course, became... No, no, there's, there's no doubt of that. And, of course, and of course, Kerry was absolutely critical to the two, to the two Eastern Conference uh, uh, champions, um, you know, along with, you know, Starring in the backcourt with 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 Jay Kidd, so yeah, they didn't do badly. But again, the issue is, you know, what might have been, and there was a lot of what might have been back in that era for um, for Nets fans, uh, and you know, those essentially ended um, when they decided you know, to when they decided to vacate New Jersey. I'm not saying that that was a that that was uh, that that was a cure all, but what it did do was it broke it broke them from um, from the from the yoke of of what might have been, and it gave them a new um, you know, a new start, as it were, in New York. So now we're seven years into that, um, and as you look back, you know. Other than other than the Billy King trade with Boston, um, you know. The draft picks have been fine. They haven't they haven't blown any picks um, with the few that they have had, and obviously they've done well with the lower picks that they did have. But Kobe Bryant was obviously a very special case, um, and it was you know to draft one of the top four or five players in history at number thirteen, or if the Nets had made the move at number eight, um, was extraordinary. Um, and it's, it's one thing you can say about Sean Mark is that, you know, he's willing to take some risks. Um, and John Calipari was not. And again, then, and, you know, even though I apologized or I kind of spoke the part for that, why the Nets pick Kerry Kittles 
and that they made actually a better decision than the other options they could have had beyond Kobe. The Nets history is so tied with Kobe because we know from Bobby Marks and other people in the reporting that you've talked about that the Nets, it was a very close decision. The Nets had this sort of inside track to get Kobe and they chose Calipari chose another went a different way kobe went to la and 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 what happened in new jersey and of course the other thing is if calipari had chosen kobe it was a a lot of the things that happened subsequently to him um could have been forgiven and he might have had a longer he might have had a longer stretches as as nets coach um, you know, because you can always say, well, I've got this superstar developing here. Just give me a little more time. On the other hand, if you look at that Mets team as it evolved and you're, you know, nobody knows if they would have, if they would have signed, you know, um, the same players or drafted the same players, that was a pretty dysfunctional group. I mean, Jason Williams and, and, and Kendall Gill and, you know, et cetera, were, were warring with, with Calipari. Um, so, you know, would they, would, would Kobe Bryant have developed, um, as well, um, in, uh, in New Jersey than he did in LA? I mean, that's a question as, as, as well. Um, and, you know, Calipari on the other hand, does, did have a very good record before and after with taking players who are very, very skilled and bringing them to the next level. Um, bringing them to the championship level, or at least the final four level, with 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 him. So again, it's it's what might have been, and it's and I think it's as a sports fan might have been what might have been is always an interesting topic, but it doesn't go anywhere. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it it happened and it's over and move on. Um, and I think that you know, whereas, whereas you know, we uh, we fans like to to take a look at that. The reality is, um, you know, at the end of the day, nothing changes. Uh, so there you have it. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much for I. You know, I felt it was important to kind of bring this out because it may be a story that not too many people know. And I think that it, as again, as you said, as fans, it does remind us of these little moments that can happen in the NBA, whether it's a million dollar check in someone's pocket or a decision because of getting cold feet over something that completely alters sort of the fabric of the NBA. And this is one of those moments where the Nets could have been the home to Kobe Bryant, but would have Kobe Bryant have been who he was if he became a New Jersey Net? You know, we just don't know and we won't know. But uh, thank you for joining me today, Bob. Sure thing. Good talking to you. Good talking to you.